Oh, God. All right, look, we are a half an hour into this, and we have not even mentioned the name of the episode, let alone started to talk about it. It's going to go smoothly from here on out. It is. It's going to be like 15 minutes, and we're going to be done. Yeah, well, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith. As always, I am joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are, you, how are you doing tonight? Hey, this is episode 23. We've made it through 23 episodes, and it's almost uh, the winter holidays. Are they, they are upon us, Dana. Just, uh, what, five days away from Christmas, six days away from Christmas, something like that? I, I don't have a calendar in front of me. Well, when so, the show um, comes out, uh, <laughs> you know, when our podcast episode comes out, we'll only be... Uh, two days away. Two days, yeah, two days, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we were just talking before we started recording about uh, Star Trek and do they talk about Christmas or other holidays? And there is the uh, one episode, uh, Dagger of the Mind, where Kirk does mention the Christmas party, or I guess it's actually the female lead in the show that mentions Dr. it. Dr. Noel. Was that her name, Noel? I think so. Wasn't I think that it was Helen, Helen Noel. Yeah. Yeah. But they do mention the Christmas party, which implies that they are celebrating Christmas what about all the other holidays and well, maybe they, alien holidays even? They mentioned Thanksgiving and Charlie X. Someone did mention that the polls that the lawgivers were holding in Return of the Archons was a Festivus poll. And I think they were probably right. <laughs> Festivus for the rest of us. Exactly. And I think that was Landry's whole religion was Festivus. Yeah. I, I think it could have been. Let's talk about last week's episode, Space Seed. Yeah. I think everybody loves this uh, this episode. Some, because it ties into Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Several people mentioned the movie, but a lot of people on, on Facebook, uh, the messages we got, uh, emails, uh, everybody was pretty thrilled with, uh, with this episode and thought it was really one of the strongest episodes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true, you know, and, and, and I'm guessing that some people found Star Trek through this episode or through the film and then coming back to this episode. Yeah. But it is, uh, it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty tight episode. You pointed out a couple of plot holes that are definitely there, but every episode probably has those, I would imagine. But this one is really a good, good episode. On Facebook, I'd asked the question about uh, what's a historian doing on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I was surprised more people did not bash on MacGyver's. Few people did comment like we did that didn't really know what a historian was doing on the Enterprise, what uh, value that brought. A few people did try to defend her. But nobody said anything about her acting, if that's what you want to call it. I didn't think the acting was all that bad. I think the writing was particularly bad. Yeah, yeah, true. That's true. And you didn't like her artwork. No, uh, no, her artwork uh, sucked. Yeah, it really <laughs> was not good. And then just today, I, I posted on Facebook, uh, is Khan the best villain of the whole, the original series. A couple people said, uh, no, they thought the Klingons were the best villains. Hmm. It's kind of a little bit hard to argue. Several people said, definitely not the Gorn, uh, and made comments about how slow moving the Gorn was. One person did say, uh, I might've been jokingly, but they thought Trelane. I'm not sure how that would work. Funny. He was funny. Yeah. I'm not sure he was the worst uh, villain. Somebody else posted M5. Uh, we haven't gotten to that episode yet. And uh, several other people talked about uh, com- other computers that they run into in future episodes. Thanks to everyone, all their comments on uh, on the episode of Space Seed. Somebody commented the, about Khan reupholstering uh, Kirk's chair with fine Corinthian leather. 
Um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Oh, and a few people even commented on our IKEA ramble. Oh, okay. Yeah. And one person said uh, IKEA's meatballs suck. Now, did you did we hear anything from IKEA, the, the corporation itself? Uh, no, but I haven't been checking my mail all week. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> and it could be that they're still translating it from, you know, English into Swedish <laughs> to see if it is wor- Sue worthy. Yeah. Just to be clear, I did not say anything about it being horse meat. Uh, you were the one that brought that up. And... I'm not, I, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Our listeners will have to be the ones to decide, as well as the IKEA lawyers. So, a uh, quick shout out to a few people. Um, can't get everybody's name in, but uh, Jimmy, Jason, Tyrone, Ron, Shamey, John, David, Casey, Ernest, Randall, Candy, Hoyt, Elias, Stephen, Matthew, Alex, and so many others who commented on uh, our posts and the podcast. It's uh, greatly appreciated. And thanks for uh, interacting with us and listening along to the podcast. So this episode is a taste of Armageddon. So the Enterprise is en route to cluster NGC-321 to open diplomatic relations with the civilization there. After several unacknowledged overtures, a message finally comes through from the planet Aminiar-7, the principal planet in the cluster. They send out a code 710, which says, stay away at all costs. So they have this Ambassador Fox on board. Kirk says, well, we've got to honor their request. And Fox is like, no, we can't. Thousands of lives have been lost in this sector. He says lives that could have been spared if the Federation had a treaty in the sector. So Kirk orders the Enterprise to go on yellow alert and uh, sends out an intercom message to the crew of the ship. He says, we're going in, gentlemen, peacefully, I hope, but peacefully or not, we're going in. So Ambassador Fox comes on the bridge and says he wants to go down to the planet. But Kirk says he cannot risk the ambassador being injured. So Kirk is telling Ambassador Fox, you got to stay I'll go down and make sure that everything is clear before we send you down. Yes. Okay. Kirk, Spock, two security guards, Osborne and Galloway, and Yeoman Tamura beam down to the planet. Kirk sees a woman approaching. It's funny, the music changes, becomes kind of sexy and stuff, kind of a little romantic like usually happens when Kirk meets a woman. Her name is Mia 3. Mia asks uh, why they came down. Uh, They were warned and ordered not to come there. She's like, well, you're here. So she guides him into uh, one of the buildings. Now, Dana, she's also with like two guards. The hats, Dana, that they're wearing. My God. I I just don't know who came up with those. Do you remember the pink pussy hat movement? Yeah. I mean, they were uh, knitted hats that were meant to show like solidarity and support for women's rights and political resistance. The guards are wearing what I can only describe as pussy hats. That, that's only when I first saw them, I thought, wow, they're carrying on the pussy hat movement. Or they started it. Maybe. And that movement is still a thing. It is. For people to know, there's actually pussyhatproject.com. Uh, the landing party gets introduced to the high council. Kirk says that they came to open diplomatic relations. There's a man, his name's Anand Seven, and he says that's impossible because 
we are at war. Spock reports that they have scanned the planet. They are highly advanced, peaceful, and prosperous. Anand 7 says casualties among the civilian population number between 1 and 3 million casualties per year. And Vandekar is the enemy, the third planet in the solar system. Whenever I say Vandekar, I want to say Vandekamps. Wasn't they that make uh, beans? Yeah, they make everything. So they get a warning that uh, Vandekar is attacking. And these doors open up and there's a big screen Kind of like, looks like a little bit like a radar map. They all point to it and uh, they say it's a direct hit right here in our city. Kirk turns and asks Spock if he heard any explosion. Spock says no. Spock asks Tamura for a tricorder reading. Tamura reports that there's no evidence of radiation. And Kirk calls up to Scotty on the Enterprise and asks if sensors show of any disturbances. And Scotty reports everything is quiet. And then uh, Anand comes back and says it's a vicious attack. Very destructive. Half a million have just been killed. Spock kind of like looks around and looks at the computers that are going on and he says, computers, Captain. They fight the war with computers. Anand says, yes, of course. Kirk says, computers don't kill half a million people. Anand explains that they have been at war for 500 years. He goes on to say that no civilization could withstand that. So the attack is mathematically launched. And then he says, I lost my wife in the last attack. But the civilization lives. Our people die, but our culture goes on. Kirk seems absolutely stunned by this. So Kirk says, you mean your people just walk into a disintegration machine? And uh, Anand says, we have a high consciousness of duty. Spock says, There is a certain scientific logic about it. I'm glad you approve. I do not approve. I understand. Yeah, that's another great line. Anand tells Kirk, We warned you not to come. You chose to ignore my warning. Your ship has been classified as destroyed. All persons aboard have 24 hours to report to our disintegration machines. If possible, we'll spare your ship, Captain, but the passengers and crew are already dead. So they're going to hold the landing party hostage to assure compliance from the ship. Right. The landing party is then confined to a room on the plant's surface. And I made a note that you'll appreciate. Yeah. Thank God the room looks like it could have been decorated later than the 1800s. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but did you look at, it looked like it could not have been decorated later than the 1960s because it had shag carpet. (laughs) It had like an umber uh, colored couch. It was bad. Mia comes to ask if they need anything. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, like off the planet. And then. uh, (laughs) Yeah, like let us go. (laughs) (laughs) But then she tells him that she has been declared a casualty as well. So we go back up to the Enterprise. McCoy is on the bridge and stating that we should have heard something by now. And Scotty replies, yes, but we haven't. McCoy says, we can't just sit here. Scotty says, what would you have me do? And McCoy says, I'm a doctor. If I were an officer of the line. And Scotty says, would you have me open fire? Just then, a message comes in from Kirk stating that the Amenians have agreed to open diplomatic relations, and they've invited all personnel down to shore leave. And then we see, we cut back to the plan, we see it's Anand 7 using one of the communicators. And he's impersonating Kirk. He's impersonating Kirk. Once he closes the channel, Scotty looks to McCoy and says, well, what do you think of that? McCoy seems kind of confused. Scotty goes over to Spock's science station and asks the computer to analyze the last message received from Captain Kirk. The computer reports it's a 98% probability that it was a voice duplicator and not the captain. Well, they've got them, Doctor. I know they're trying to get us. And I just love Scotty in this whole command role. He should have had his own ship. 
long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is great. Back on the planet, Spock says, uh, is talking to Kirk and he says, uh, there's limited telepathic abilities that are inherent in Vulcanians. Spock goes to the door and attempts to telepathically influence the guard. So Dana, just to be clear here, they are locked in a room, right? So they're being held captive and he's trying to use these ESP abilities to convince the guard outside the door to do something. Is that right? Yeah. And so he goes along the wall and by the door and he's kind of feeling around with his hands and uh, you can see he looks very serious as Spock does. And then you see the guard kind of like rubbing his eyes out in the hall and seeming like he's kind of like dazed or something. Yeah. And then the guard turns and opens the door. And what does he get for opening the door? He gets the crap knocked out of him by Kurt. So. <laughs> once again, we got the karate chop thing happening, right? Yeah. Uh, karate chop to the wrist, karate chop to the, the front of the neck, and then one to the back of the neck. Yeah, that's not good. And the good. guy goes down. Kurt grabs the weapon and he says, we're going to need more. And he looks at Spock and he says, we'll try to avoid it, but we may be forced to kill. The landing party goes out in the hallway. They see one of the disintegrators. They see that uh, Mia is coming down the hall and Kirk stops her. Uh, Spock goes forward and steps in front of the, one of the guards and he says, Sir, there's a Mount Halligan creature crawling on your shoulder. And he reaches up and does the Vulcan nerve pinch. Well, this is one of the most classic <laughs> lines, I think, in all of Star Trek. So they end up blowing up the disintegrator. So did you notice when they blow up this disintegrator, the fire that is actually burning on the set? It was a huge fire in the scene and people were running. I think they were really running away from the fire because it got out of control. That thing was burning. Yeah, I looked in a couple of spots online and in the couple of books I have to see if there was like an actual fire and I couldn't find anything. But I was wondering, I had the same thought. So uh, we go from there to the high council and they're being informed about the landing party's escape. Anand puts out a message that the Federation people must be stopped. He then asks for disruptor banks be ready to fire on the Enterprise. Back on the bridge, Scotty is explaining that he's taken defensive steps. And the helmsman states that the deflector shields are at full power. And all of a sudden he says, the sensor ratings just went off the scale. The ship is rocked. Scotty is kind of thrown. And uh, Scotty says, they're taking pot shots at us. So Ambassador Fox comes on the bridge and warns Scotty not to take any aggressive action. And uh, he says, obviously, this is a misunderstanding. And Scotty says, they're the ones picking a fight. Fox says, there will be no punitive actions. Fox leaves the bridge and Scotty says, Diplomats. The best diplomat I know is a fully activated phaser bank. A great, great line. Yeah. Back on the planet, Kirk and the landing party return to the room that they were held in before. Kirk explains that nobody's going to look for them there. Spock reports that they have taken disruptors and two uniforms. Kirk pulls Mia aside and asks for a complete layout of the facility. And Kirk says, we're going to try and stop the killing. Then we see the council again. A man comes in and says the Earth ambassador is hailing them. Back on the Enterprise, Fox says, we have approached you openly to establish peaceful relations. Anand says it is misunderstanding that they fired on the ship and that the landing party is safe. Fox says, I'll presume you'll have our ship's captain when I beam down. And Anand says, of course, I promise you he'll be here. 
Fox looks at Scotty and says, diplomacy is best left to the diplomats. He then says, you'll resume a peaceful status. Scotty replies, no, sir, I will not. I will not lower the screens. Fox argues that he will lower the screens. Scotty says, I know about your authority and the screens stay up. And Fox says, you can be sent to a penal colony for this. And Scotty replies, yes, sir, but I won't lower the screens. When Fox leaves the bridge, McCoy follows Scotty and says, Wow, Scotty. Now you've done it. Aye, the haggis is in the fire for sure. But I'll not lower my defenses on the word of that mealy-mouthed gentleman down below. Not until I know what happened to the captain. Ah, man, I mean, he's just being a leader, you know, I mean, and just, you can learn a lot from Scotty these days. Now, I did look this up to see if this was a, a real Scottish saying. Almost every comment I saw online, it is not. But even people from Scotland who said it's not real, said they wish it was real. And they thought that maybe in the future, it will become real because of this episode. <laughs> Have you ever had a haggis? No, I was just about to ask you, you've been to Scotland, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't aware. Uh, we did a breakfast buffet at one of the places we stayed and I wasn't aware that I tried it. It was tasty. You know, I mean, the typical Scottish meal, the breakfast, is eggs, tomatoes, baked beans. Occasionally, they might have like a sausage or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, haggis is often served. So Now, what is it? It's uh, The thing is, it's put inside of a sheep's intestine. Is It's just stuffed with meats and vegetables, whatever you got around. Does not sound good to me. Because it just sounds like it would be a mishmash of maybe organ meat and things that, yep. you know, are leftover. And then you, you get a sheep, you stuff it down its throat. The sheep probably doesn't <laughs> like that. And then you got to put the sheep in the fire. I mean, is that how it works? No, this is after the sheep is dead and you take out its intestines. Oh, so you've killed the sheep. Okay, that's better. Yeah. So... Or you could take it out while it's alive and see how long it does, how well it does without its intestines. <laughs> but... Uh. <laughs> Well, those Scots, from what I understand, um, do we have any listeners in Scotland? I wonder if we do. I know we can look that up. We don't now. But you know, I mean, after this, we uh, won't. Yeah, yeah. Next thing we see is uh, Nan in his quarters, I'm guessing, and he's pouring himself a drink. Kirk comes in with the disruptor at the ready. Uh, Nan says, uh, won't you join me for a drink? And so he hands Kirk a drink, but he pushes a button on the side of his console. And Kirk doesn't see that. So Kirk walks towards the door like he's going to go out. Kirk gestures for Nan to come over with him by the door. And when Nan does, he opens the door and Kirk pushes him out in the hallway right into a waiting guard. And a fight ensues. One of the guards comes up and hits him from behind. Kind of the karate chop thing knocks him out. Yeah. So the next thing we see is Fox and his associate beam down to the planet. Now, we haven't and seen this other guy in this entire episode, but he's like his attache or something, right? Yeah. And we don't see him. I mean, we didn't see him previously. We didn't even know he was on the ship, but it's, yeah, it's uh, some guy that- But he's dressed kind of like foxes. Yeah. Looks very formal. So uh, Anan greets them. Anan turns to him, apologizes and says, you have been declared casualties and you'll be taken to one of our disintegration stations. Fox seems totally dismayed. Like this, just there's no way this could have happened. Right. Back in the uh, room where the uh, landing party was, Spock manages to get the communicator they took from the Armenians and calls up to the Enterprise and he talks to Scotty. He explains that no one should beam down. Scotty tells him that the ambassador just beamed down. So Spock and the security guards go out to find the captain and the ambassador. So Spock and the security team leaves, but he tells Yeoman Tamura to watch Mia 3. Yeoman Tamura, you stay here and prevent this young lady from immolating herself. Knock her down and sit on her if necessary. This is a killing situation. Do what you must to protect yourself. 
Clear? Yes, sir. So Spock and the security team come upon the ambassador about to be uh, turned into dust in one of the disintegrator machines. And Spock walks up and does a quick karate move and takes out one of the guards. Spock pulls the ambassador back and he aims the disruptor at the machine. The ambassador says, uh, what are you doing? Spock replies, practicing a peculiar style of diplomacy. And then he points the disruptor at the station and destroys it. So the next thing we see is Kirk uh, is in with the high council sitting in a chair uh, with guards around him and a nan is making a pitch to get kirk to bring his people down basically to be disintegrated and he says if we don't meet our quota we'll be subject to an escalation that will destroy everything horrible lingering pain and death kirk says that seems to frighten you and a nan says it would frighten any sane man. He says, don't you understand? We've done away with all that. A man opens up a channel to the Enterprise and Scotty answers. Kirk jumps up and says, General Order 24 in two hours before he is subdued by the guards. Kirk says, General Order 24 means my ship will start attacking Aminiar. Anan looks at Kirk. You couldn't do this. Hundreds of millions of people. Kirk responds, I didn't start it, but I'm likely to finish it. But I got a question about this General Order 24. What do you think General Orders 1 through 23 are? <laughs> if 24 is like, <laughs> destroy the entire freaking planet? 24 through 48 are pretty nice. Oh, those are the bad ones. Okay, okay, that makes sense, actually. That kind of makes, in a weird way, that makes sense to me. Okay. So 1 through 23 are good to building up to bad. And yeah. then 24 to, what did you say, 48 or 50? Yeah, let's say 50. Let's say 50. Those are bad. If any of our listeners know what the other general orders are, please email us and we'll uh, make sure to get that on the podcast. So we see uh, Spock and the security team coming down the hall and they've got uh, the Ambassador Fox and his attache with them. They encounter some guards who fire at them and they fire back and Fox's assistant gets hit and falls down and everyone just moves on. Fox goes back and kind of like checks him, believe the guy's dead. He looks and, like he died, yeah. And Fox just kind of like looks at him and walks on. But I mean, Spock and the security guards don't even like flinch. Did not even look back. Uh, one of the Armenians comes into the council and says, Vandekar uh, says we're behind on our quotas. Anand looks at Kirk. He says, see what you've done? Anand is about to break down. He just seems like he's about really to cry. And he's asking the council, what can I do? One of the guards comes forward around Kirk and Kirk trips him. Kirk turns around, tackles two of the other guards and just pulls a disruptor away from the third. Yeah, now see this, this scene, Dana, I think there were three guards back there. I'm pretty sure because yeah. I remember thinking he just kind of whirls through them and knocks all of them down. It was just so unrealistic to me. Spock comes in and says, oh, I thought you might need help. And uh, Kirk says, I do. And then he points to the radar room and says, uh, and sends Spock in there. Then Kirk calls up to Scotty and says, if all goes well, you can beam us up in 10 minutes. If not, carry out General Order 24. So Kirk tells Anan, you've made war neat and painless, and I'm going to end it. He goes into the computer room, and Spock says he's figured it out. He says the system allows for constant communication with the Vandikans. He points to one of the computers and says, destroy this one, and they'll all go down. So naturally, Kirk doesn't waste any time, and he blows up the computer. Yeah. Anan comes back in and says, do you realize what you've done? And Kirk says, yes, I do. I've given you back the horrors of war. Death, destruction, disease, horror. That's what war is all about. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. You've made it neat and painless. So neat and painless, you've had no reason to stop it. 
Anand replies, there can be no peace. He says, we're the same as you. We've admitted it to ourselves. It, it is instinctive. Kirk says, instincts can be fought. Contact Vandekar, let them know you offer peace. And then Ambassador Fox is there and he says, I've helped negotiate treaties before. And he, so he's basically offering to help them. Right. And says, I think that we could achieve something here. So back on the ship... Uhura reports that the ambas- uh, Ambassador Fox has said negotiations look hopeful. Spock uh, approaches Kirk and says, you took a big chance. And Kirk says, I did, Mr. Spock. He says, they've been killing three million people a year. He says, I had a feeling they would do anything to avoid that. Feeling is not much to go on. Sometimes a feeling, Mr. Spock, is all we humans have to go on. Captain, you almost make me believe in luck. Why, Mr. Spock? You almost make me believe in miracles. Yeah, it was a good interaction between those two to wrap up the show. What do you have for your themes and dilemmas for this episode, Dan? Dana, this really raises a question for me that I want to pose to you so that we can maybe discuss it. And that is, is it more moral to have a war that kills people but does not destroy a society or a culture as presented in the show? Or should war be dirty and messy and awful as Kirk says it should be? Where do you land on that? Well, I I really think that Kirk's whole point of war being dirty and messy and awful is that if you look at it that way, that's a deterrence. Who wants to possibly have one of their cities destroyed? Look at what's happening in the Ukraine right now. I mean, whole cities have been wiped out. You know, if you could have a war where cultures would survive, the only things that are being destroyed are are humans, does that make it better? Assuming that war is going to happen anyway, and therefore if it's going to happen, shouldn't we make it cleaner? I just don't think you can do it. I I guess one of the other questions posed by the show, Dana, is war inevitable? Geez, I'd like to think not, but seems like we can't seem to get away from it. You had raised the point that this episode of Star Trek is really an anti-war episode. What what did you mean by that? Well, uh, the Vietnam War was going on. There was protests already happening. I think the writers were well aware of uh, the sentiment in the land and thought, you know, this is what's needed, the, the, an anti-war episode. That war does destroy. No way to make that seem like a positive thing. And in some ways, it even destroys the people who are considered the winners. So this this story was written in September of 1966. 1966, up to that point, it actually was the deadliest year for Americans in Vietnam. It was just ramping up to be a very deadly war for Americans. And like you said, the protests had really started in full force in 1966. And so, yeah, you're right. The the writers had to be influenced by that. So, Dana, what was the best part of this episode for you? Scotty taking a stand against the ambassador and about lowering the shields. I just just love that. And how about for you, Dan? Okay, uh, one of my best uh, parts is exactly what you just said about Scotty. But there is an interesting story that I read that when James Doohan was in the Royal Canadian Artillery, there was a visiting officer that came to see some training and he had given James Doohan an order. And James Doohan was like, that order he just gave me is going to get some of my men killed. And he refused the order. I read that... Uh... James Doohan, Scotty, had talked to the producers that told them about his story and that they made sure to 
put that into the script. Isn't that cool? It's awesome. Yeah. I think that, you know, sometimes art imitates life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great point. Uh, did you have any other best parts? One thing that kind of stood out to me and I thought was kind of funny. I don't know if it's the best part, but uh, Kirk meets a pretty woman and he doesn't take her to bed or even kiss her. Wow. And so uh, yeah. there wasn't a lot of time. Kirk usually manages to make time. Yeah. How about a worst part for you, Dan? Oh, uh, the hats that were worn by the <laughs> Armenians. I just thought they were stupid, just dumb looking. Maybe that's why they went to war with Vendikar. Vendikar's like, oh, those hats. No, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're done with you. How about a worst part for you? Prime directive? What prime directive? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not stated in this show, but the ambassador, Kirk, Scott, I'm sure the guards, I'm sure Tamura, all ignore the prime directive in this yeah. show. They just mentioned, what, two episodes ago? I love the idea of the prime directive, Dana. It leads to some very cool dilemmas that happen not only in the original series, but in Next Generation and in probably every other iteration of Star Trek. But especially in the original series, they just seem to throw it out the window a lot, don't they? Yeah, it's in name only. So Dana, what other worst parts do you have? Uh, there's no Sulu. Yeah, good point. Uh, no crew deaths. Yeah. Thought that that was going to happen. Yeah. That is always a bad day when no one dies in the crew that I can add to the tally. Yeah. I did have one other thing that kind of bugged me. And in 500 years of war and people being sent to the disintegration machines, no one rebelled against that? Screw this. I'm not going into disintegrate. I've got a good life. That's a great point, though. <laughs> they just walk into the disintegration chamber. Now, maybe this is actually a comment, Dana, on uh, what was happening again, once again in American society that people are just like, yeah, there's a war going on in Vietnam. We're just going to go along. We're not going to question it. Maybe again, it was um, the way a way for the writers to make a comment about American society. Yeah. But, I mean, both planets didn't seem to have any dissenters. Yeah. You'd think that every other week, somebody would be like, and there'd be some kind of rebellion. Yeah. Should we get to our counts? Yeah, let's do the counts. How about the dead crewman count? The ambassador's attache, your best friend, got killed, but wasn't part of the normal crew. So I don't think we can count him. I think you're right. I think it's no. I don't think we... We count him, and it's too bad because Dana, it's been weeks since we've been able to count a casualty. So, so you, are yeah, you saying and no? It, and there that was, he, are you saying no? He shouldn't uh, be counted. I'm saying no, yeah. but but I thought there was ample opportunities to kill off one of the guards. Yeah, I mean, two of them were in red shirts, yeah. plus Tamura, who is a yeoman. She's in a red shirt when yeah. she comes down. I was really thinking maybe we'd get one, but we didn't uh, didn't get any this so. week. So yeah, Dana, we're stuck at 25.5 on the dead crewman count. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Kirk got in uh, two different fights and didn't rip his shirt once, barely broke a sweat. Yeah, so we're zero, right? So we're stuck at nine. The he's dead count. Nope. Well, nobody died except for the ambassador's attache and <laughs> McCoy wasn't there to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So zero on that. We're stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. We were so close. So yeah. close. McCoy says, I'm a doctor. If I were an officer of the line, <laughs> <laughs> if, if he'd changed it and said, I'm a doctor, not a military tactician, that would have worked. Yep. It would have worked. We had one. Uh, I, I thought when he said that line, I thought we were going to get one, but we did not. So we are stuck at one. The supreme being count. <laughs> nope. These people thought they were above it all, but the, nope, nobody counts as a supreme being. Yep, zero. So we are stuck at four. So Dana, what happened on this date in history? Well, the show aired on February 23rd, 1967. Dan, that's the same day the 25th Amendment was adopted, and that's the uh, U.S. presidential succession plan. Trinidad and Tobago became the first British Commonwealth nation 
to join the Organization of American States. Are they? They're in the Caribbean, I think, aren't they? Yeah. They're, okay. In Xining, the capital city of China's Qinghai province, 169 civilians and four soldiers were killed in a violent confrontation when troops of the People's Liberation Army, who had been forced out by the Red Guards, came in to retake control of the city's newspaper, and they were confronted with angry and unarmed locals. Oh. This last one's for uh, our friend Phil. He owned a uh, Pontiac Firebird at one time, and uh, we called it the Copper Falcon. On February 25th, 1967, a couple days after the show aired, the Pontiac Firebird, the first sports car from the Pontiac Division of General Motors, was first introduced to the public in a display at the Chicago Auto Show. So, Dan, that about wraps up this week's episode. What's up next for us? Next week, we've got This Side of Paradise. And, Dana, once again, I'd like to remind our listeners, if you've got any cool Star Trek stories that you want to tell, please get a hold of us. We are already accumulating a list of people that we're going to interview starting uh, next year. And uh, please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. As you mentioned earlier, this show should uh, land just two days before Christmas. So whatever holiday you're celebrating, or even if you're not celebrating uh, uh, any holidays, uh, we wish you the best and have a great holiday season. As always, thanks, Dan. This has been uh, so much fun. It is uh, one of the highlights of my week for sure. Thanks again. And uh, I'll see you next week. Again, next week, this side of paradise. Until then, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim the podcast we'd love to hear from you please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on facebook or twitter make sure to join us next week for this side of paradise from dan and dana have a wonderful holiday season and remember to live long and prosper